You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, this morning, I want to direct our thoughts uh, to an idea. And you know, sometimes I'm in that raising kid phase, uh, about to have a senior this fall, uh, fourth and third grader. You know, as parents, we want to create these moments. And, you know, it's almost like you get a moment that God kind of tosses up a softball, one of these easy, teachable moments. And, man, you want to do it well, make an impact on your kids, teach them about Jesus. Until I read about young Jennifer, and she's this young mom, two little boys, gets up early, wants to make them breakfast. She thought, favorite thing, pancakes. I got this. Gets everything ready. Kids come to breakfast, sit down. She pours, gets that griddle hot. First pancake gets poured, and you know what's going to happen. Man, they start arguing about who's going to get the first pancake. So she looks at him, she's like, this is it. This is what I've been training for. Went to all the parenting classes, read these books. I've got this one. And she says to her, her young boys, you know, well, if Jesus was here. So we're going to start with some guilt, first of all. If Jesus was here, you know, he would say, you know, let my brother have the first pancake. You know, I'll wait. She said, what do y'all think about that? So the oldest one looked at his younger brother and said, hey, you be Jesus today. <laughs> and that's kind of how it goes. It's, you know, you think it's going to be well, and it just falls flat on its face. But, you know, the truth is teaching people, and whether we're adults or kids, teaching people about who God is is a difficult thing because you're describing and teaching something or someone that you've never seen. In fact, mere words would never fully describe who God is. We would always fall short of that. That God is unlike anyone or anything we've ever known. That God is without comparison. So what do we do? So we begin this series about the attributes of who God is. So then I got to thinking, well, I had to ask my kids, you know, what is God like? And that was pretty interesting. We haven't done it. It's pretty interesting. So then I found some kids. Agnes, she described God. She said, you know, God is like a red-headed superhero. So in her mind, that's what God's like. Little Michaela, she's eight, she said, well, God's a bearded guy with big ears because my mom told me God can hear everything I've ever said. You know, you think about it. Well, that's kind of their context. Or it's little Gabby, she was age nine. She said, God's the one controlling all the information in the cloud. You know, everybody's storing all this information in the cloud. You know, she's actually probably right about that. You know, God can see it, all those sort of things. But thinking about what is God like? How do we describe God? And so we use the idea of attributes. And an attribute is something that is true about God. We see in Scripture. And we use this to then describe, okay, this is what God is like. So a divine attribute is something that is true about who God is. So this morning, I want to focus on the attribute of God is faithful. Meaning he is infinitely and unchangingly true and trustworthy. But here's the problem. The problem is we look at our lives, we look at the world, and there's all this then unfaithfulness around us. I mean, all we have to do is look at our jobs, our families, even in churches, in our marriages, and we see all this unfaithfulness, and then we try to understand, well, how is God faithful? So the problem looking at God as being faithful is all the unfaithfulness. Think about it as a parent. 
I mean, you've promised your child you'll do something, you'll take them somewhere, you'll get them something, and then something changes. You get called into work, and you have to go back on your word. Or there's that promised raise or promotion, and it never comes. Or a friend that you kind of share some information with, and thinking you can trust them, and then you realize it makes it back to you that they told this person, that they told that person. And then so sad, you turn on the news, or... You see about all the abuse that seems to go on in the world. And oftentimes it's by someone that that a family or a child trusted. Or then you see somebody that married someone. They go a few months, maybe a year later, and they're realizing, man, this person is not what I thought they were at all. And many things like this happen. I think what happens is, is that when these circumstances, when these experiences happen, it makes it hard to trust people. And then what happens when it makes us hard to trust people, then that can spill over into how we view God. We experience all this this unfaithfulness, and we go, well then, how then can God be faithful? And so this morning, if you find it hard to trust people, I know I do at times, or maybe if you even find it hard trusting who God is and that He can really do something, I want to speak to us this morning because here's my prayer and the big idea for this morning is that no one has ever trusted God in vain. And that's what we're going to look at. You know, people, they're going to let you down. Your children are going to be hard to trust. People you work with or people at school, they're going to break confidence. You're going to find it difficult to trust a spouse, a parent, a family member. But no matter what is going on in our lives, no one has ever trusted God in vain. And so here's what I want to do. I want to pull out kind of thinking of God is faithful. Four real quick examples to kind of set that context. But go ahead in your Bibles on your device, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And that's where we're going to focus this morning. As you're doing that, I want to kind of give just kind of a, a quick little uh, examples of, of God being faithful. Here's one, Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9. It says, therefore, know that the Lord... Your God, He is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and the steadfast love with those who love Him. And He keeps His commandments to a thousand generations. Meaning God is faithful to His word. When He makes a promise, He will always keep it, no matter what. But notice, God isn't just faithful today. He's not just faithful tomorrow. It says, to a thousand generations. Generations. Now, why would the author use that? Well, a generation is like around 30 years on average. So he's saying God can be trusted for 30,000 years. But you say, why wouldn't he say, well, God's just always faithful? I think he's trying to show that there is never a moment that you will ever be alive that God is not faithful. That you will never experience a single second of breath that God is not faithful to His Word. But not only is He described in measurements of time, even space. Psalm 36.5 says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, it extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Meaning that God's faithfulness, the author wants us to see God's faithfulness being beyond us, above us, that it spans us. And I think it's describing there is never a place that you will ever be, that God's faithfulness is not all around you. Because think about it, no matter what season of life you're in, 
about to graduate high school, praise the Lord, or college, getting married, trying to figure out, okay, this next stage of life, starting a family, raising children, enjoying the blessed grandparenting years, that there is never a place that God is not faithful. But not only is he seen, described faithfulness as time and space, The scriptures tell us that God's faithfulness is there before you ever open your eyes. Limitations 3 tells us the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So you and I wake up each morning and there are so many unknowns. Man, we don't even know if the kids are going to find their shoes to be able to make it to school on time. You don't know if that's the day you're going to have enough money for that thing that's coming due. Today's the day you receive word that, man, you no longer are welcome or no longer have a place of employment here or waiting for that doctor's report. And, you know, our days have so many unknowns. Whether it's a day that every expectation is met or whether a single one of them are not. No matter what the day holds, God's faithfulness is already waiting on us before we ever open our eyes. So Scripture tells us not only is God faithfulness described to reach generations in space, waiting on us each and every day, that God will stand when no one else does. The last one, Romans 3, begins with a question. What if some are unfaithful? Does that nullify the faithfulness of God? And the answer is absolutely not. That if no one is faithful in your life, if you've had person after person, friend after friend, parent after parent, spouse after spouse, be unfaithful, God will never do that. So no matter who is unfaithful, God never will be. And that is just a few examples that you could look at God's faithfulness in Scripture. So now go to 2 Timothy 2. Here's what's happening. Paul is going to write to this young man, Timothy. And they've got this great relationship. That Paul is older, he's wiser, he's more experienced. And he has Timothy who, he's eager. Uh, He wants to follow Paul. And they've got this relationship that Paul loves Timothy. And he's going to be this mentor. And he's going to lead Timothy in a lot of other ways. And you got Timothy looks up to Paul. He's this mentor, this person that, man, he wants to follow Paul everywhere. But he's going to write to Timothy because the report is Timothy's terrified. Because Paul, his confidant, his mentor, his leader, is sitting in prison. And I believe Timothy has to be thinking, well, what do I do now? Man, there isn't any mountain I'm not willing to climb, but I can't do it without Paul. I mean, Paul knows the way. Paul knows what to do. And he's writing to young Timothy because he wants him to know and to believe and to live in a truth. And it begins in verse 8. He says, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And so he's taking Timothy back to the most important thing in his life. In fact, his life probably spinning out of control Wondering what's going to happen. The one that Timothy looks up to and he admires and has faith in. He's sitting in prison, not expecting to make it out. I think Timothy's got to be thinking, what's God doing? I mean, Paul is Paul. Why is God allowing this to happen? 
And Paul reminds Timothy, Timothy, focus on the most important thing. I think in a lot of ways he's saying, Timothy, there's a lot of things that are important. But you know, nothing is more important than this. Man, it's more important that your children grow up and are well-behaved and everybody wants their kids to be like your kids. You know, it's more important than you finding this job that brings you so much fulfillment that you can provide for your family. It's more important than finding a soulmate. It's even more important than having a comfortable retirement. The most important thing is that Jesus Christ came, He dwelt among us, died and was raised again. He says, Timothy, nothing will be more important than that. Because all that Timothy's trusting in, all that Timothy can see and is hoping in, is being tested. And Paul encourages Timothy to push back against all the uncertainty, the problems, with that truth. So then he says in verse 9, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. He says, even though I'm sitting here in prison, bound in these chains, nothing will bind the Word of God. And it's not that, man, I'm so gifted, and man, I've got it all together. It's because God's Word can be trusted. That God is always faithful to His Word, Timothy. So he turns to Timothy in verse 10 and says, Therefore... I'm enduring everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ with eternal glory. And the picture is, when someone realizes that Jesus Christ is the most important thing in life, they see themselves, they see the world, and everyone around them very differently. And what happens is, you begin to see the things of the world and possessions and comfort and accomplishments they begin to fade when Jesus Christ becomes the most important thing. And Paul has this perspective. And this allows him to say, listen, I'm enduring all of this. I can have a much more comfortable life. But it is all worth it so that more and more people come to know the joy and the freedom that only Christ can give them. And what's happening, we're seeing that the more God's Word takes a hold of someone the less tightly they hold on to the things of the world. So Paul then in detail describes his relationship. He says, this saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also reign with him. Meaning Jesus Christ, he defeated sin and death and they no longer have power over believers. And Paul says, no matter what, this truth can be trusted because God's faithful. And I think he wants Timothy to know this should bring him some incredible hope and joy and comfort in knowing that he can trust Jesus through it all. But then we have to be careful. Because the next part we're going to see in verse 12, it's going to hold one of these dual things. It's going to hold a promise. And we love the good ones. We love the promises like, the Lord will never leave me or forsake me. Or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and will endure to the end and He'll uh, present us blameless. And we like the good promises. But not only is God faithful in the good things that we like to think about, He's faithful to carry out the warnings. Meaning God is not like a parent that makes empty threats. God will never make one. 
And so the warnings we need to be aware of. So look at verse 12. Begins with the good news. If we endure, man, we get to reign with Him. If we persevere, man, that's a great promise to rest in. But then comes a very severe warning. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. And it's a quote from Matthew chapter 10, verse 33. Jesus says, Whosoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father in heaven. And I believe this is meant to be a very severe warning. I do not believe this is a talking about a loss of rewards. I think it is much more important than that. But Paul is not saying a couple of things. He's not saying, hey, if you have a hard time trusting God, that he's going to deny you. That's not what he's saying. Paul is not saying, if you've ever questioned your faith, that he's going to deny you, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is even not saying if you've ever made a commitment to Christ and then you strayed, that he's going to deny you, that's not what he's saying. But we need to understand that this is not a promise of salvation to rest in. It's a threat of lostness. And the classic example is who we saw just a couple of weeks ago with Judas. Judas looked like a disciple. He walked with Jesus. He had a role among the twelve. But in the end, you see, he was someone that never trusted fully in Jesus Christ. He looked great on the outside, but when it came true, you saw who he really was. And Paul is saying if a person denies Jesus, rejects him, that he will also remain faithful to the promise to reject them. And man, we need to heed that warning. First of all, with ourselves. Man, have I, have I accepted God's call of forgiveness and salvation? Am I still pushing back against that? But also, I think that should motivate us for something we're going to talk about in a minute. But here's the truth. God will always save someone who believes. That He will always deny anyone that rejects His call of salvation. But God will save anyone if they come to Him in faith and repentance. And then comes the promise of all promises. Look at verse 13. It says, if we are faithless, He remains faithful. Not because we're so great in this. It says because He cannot deny Himself. And I think the classic picture is Peter. That just two weeks ago we saw Peter. Finds himself on that shore. He's lost all confidence. His faith is shattered. He's wondering how to figure this all thing out, thinking through all that has happened. And his faith and commitment, they are fragile and they are frail. But what does Peter come to realize around that charcoal fire? That God's faithfulness to him had never faltered and it never wavered. And the good news about that is that is the same truth for us. That no matter what season of life that you find yourself in, no matter where you might be, Man, if your faith feels strong and you're growing and it feels like, man, my faith is in this place and I'm stepping out and I'm doing these things and I'm seeing God move, or whether you feel like you are just barely holding on, even if your circumstances are painting a picture of doubt and despair, even if you see your unfaithfulness all around you, it says God's faithful. That no matter what is happening, no matter what we're experiencing, God is always there with it. So think about Timothy. Man, his faith is being tested. 
Man, the man he looked up to, the one he had faith in, the one he thought that they were going to lead and change the world together, now finds himself sitting in prison, not expecting to get out. And Paul is writing to Timothy, and he wants him to know, no matter what happens, Timothy, whether I get released or whether this is it for me, God is faithful. In fact, Paul wanted Timothy to know, you know what, Timothy, you can trust God. You can trust Him, and no matter what is going on, I promise you this, it will never be in vain. Because you can take the Scriptures, and you can turn page after page, and you will never find someone that ever trusted God in vain. You can't do it. There's not a single person that trusted God in vain. So let me ask you this this morning. Wherever you are, wherever stage of life, whatever's going on, whether faith seems like it's growing and it's strong, or whether you're barely holding on, where do you need to be able to trust God's faithfulness more right now? Maybe it's in marriage, or singleness, parenting, wanting to have children, a job or a financial or a health situation, adjusting to kind of a, a new stage of life. No matter where you need to be able to trust God's faithfulness, I hope you can hear the Scriptures boldly proclaiming, calling you by name, no one ever trusted God in vain. But I want to close with kind of telling you about a time in my life where I had to really experience this. And it was about five years ago. And you're going to relate to some of this because it was when we launched the White House campus of Bethel. It'll be five years, uh, August 11th. Uh, in fact, it was really when this campus was, you remember when y'all were nomads? And it was Liberty, uh, no, it was Times Square, it was here, it was Liberty, back to here when children were in a different building, trying to figure all this thing out. And it was in this kind of really time of uncertainty. Well, for us, it was when we were going to launch the White House campus. And it was exciting and one of the most terrifying times in my life. Because I was really comfortable where we were. At the time, I'd done youth, I'd stepped into family ministry, and man, it was one of those things that really fit like it fit well with your giftedness, and man, it felt like things were moving in a positive direction, and I was really comfortable. But when this opportunity came, I'd never felt more inadequate. I'd never done anything like that. It was all new. In fact, a lot of times, it was kind of like uncharted territory. So we began meeting, we began praying, but then I began thinking, what if this thing doesn't work out? Three churches had closed in White House in 18 months. And I've been thinking, what if we're one of them? Will Bethel let me come back and find a place for me? I mean, what in the world do we do if this campus doesn't make it? And I was scared to death. So we started praying. We started meeting in our home and praying more and more. And the elders got together. We believed this was God's will. But then it became time, or almost go time. No place to meet, no one to lead worship, no one to step in and lead children, and all these things began adding up. And we had done everything we knew to do. We had had meeting after meeting, prayer meeting after prayer meeting, uh, fasting time and time again. But then it became time where things had to begin moving. And I can remember talking to Fritz one day and say, Fritz, I'm really nervous about this. If something's going to happen, God has got to do something because we've exhausted all that we know to do. So all we knew to do was to find some office space, at least kind of get a presence in the community. 
were meeting in, with a uh, landlord that had a closed-down barbershop. So that wasn't real encouraging. It's another business fail. He said, well, you know, I'm glad y'all could do this if this works out. We thought, yeah, it's a great location, kind of right in the center of town. And he said, you know, I've got 2,800 square feet building in the back. And we had no idea. I mean, it turned out to be a great facility for us. Well, we need someone to lead worship. Family started coming, meeting in our home. And he said, hey, I uh, uh, shared this need. And he said, hey, I play a little bit of guitar. You got to always know, okay, that can either mean, you know, he's really good or he, you know, maybe not so good. He said, I play a little bit of guitar. So I said, okay, great. Man, where, where have you played? And he said, well, I, honest truth, he said, I play in the nursery sometimes at South. And I thought, wow. But he said this, he said, but listen, I'm willing to try. He said, I don't feel like I can do this. I'm not gifted enough, but man... If there's no one else, I'll step out and do this. And this is also the truth. We played the same six songs for almost ten weeks. People were begging for something new. And I said, this is all we know. Needed somebody to kind of teach an adult connections Bible study class. Met with a guy and he said, I've never taught a Bible study. They said, man, I'm willing to try something new. I'm scared to death. I don't know. I'm afraid of messing up or I'm not going to know enough. But he stepped out and said, if this is a need, then I'll try it. Needed somebody to lead youth. Met with a young family in a very busy stage of life. And they said, we've always been with children. We're comfortable there. But man, teenagers scare us to death. But we'll step out and try. And they said, man, we may mess up. We, we don't feel like we can do this thing. They've been doing it for three and a half years now. Getting to watch their first class of high school students graduate. And person after person, thing after thing, we begin to see God's faithfulness happen over and over again. But now almost five years there, I really feel a big danger coming. And it's the danger of getting comfortable. Because we all like what comes easy. That's where I found myself. We all like things that, that we can do. And we like things that we can do with maybe just become easy. And we don't really have to kind of work at it that hard. It doesn't maybe take much effort or especially a lot of faith. So the danger is only doing the easy things. Living life comfortable. Doing the things that we really don't kind of need God for in a lot of ways. So here's the question I want to leave you asking. What am I doing for Christ that I cannot do on my own? Or what are you doing that you don't feel equipped or adequate or that you can do in your own strength? Or what could you be doing that absolutely terrifies you? I mean, you don't have to look very far. The easiest thing, step into an already existing ministry. As odd or as, as difficult as that might feel. Or what about stepping out and starting something new? I mean, we're bringing, uh, we're kind of behind the times with you guys. We're bringing the Mentoring Alliance with the Gospel Village to White House. Maybe that's something to step out that you're really terrified, don't feel like you're equipped to do. Calling that person that you know you need to make things right with. Inviting that neighbor you've been living, you know, around the corner from or next door to for the last two years. And, you know, you're still kind of doing the drive-by wave kind of thing. And your time and time has passed. And maybe you know each other's names. Being bold enough to find out where that neighbor or family member is in relationship to Christ. 
Or taking those people you work with and saying, hey, I know it's Monday morning, but man, you mind if we gathered and prayed together? What are you doing right now that you do not feel equipped or adequate? Or what are you doing that you feel like you can't do it on your own or absolutely terrifies you? And so here's the challenge. Step out and do something that absolutely terrifies you. Begin something that you don't feel like you're equipped or adequate to do. And then step out and trust God and watch Him overwhelm you with His faithfulness. Because it's time to step out maybe and do something new and something that terrifies us. Because I promise you, when you do, you'll realize no one has ever trusted God in vain. And I hope that truth will stick with us. So let's pray. Father, this morning, I do thank you for this encouragement, for this truth, and this challenge. Because, Lord, the truth is, I need this. That I find myself, and it's easy to get into that cycle and that comfort of doing the things that only come easy. Doing the things that, that seem to uh, maybe not require as much effort or, or stepping out to trust. Well, I pray in all of us that you would begin helping us to step out and do something that we don't feel like we're equipped or, or adequate to do. And do something, maybe begin something new or step out to do something that absolutely terrifies us. And Lord, for those that know exactly what that is this morning, give them the faith and the boldness and courage to step out and to trust you in it. But Lord, maybe for some, we're sitting here and not quite for sure, Lord, would you lead them to what that might be and then give them the boldness to trust you and that you, Lord, would then overwhelm them with your faithfulness. So, Lord, would you take this truth this morning and hide it into our hearts and direct us to live it out that no matter whoever it is or whatever is going on, that no one has ever trusted you in vain. No one ever has, and we will not be the first. Lord, give us the faith to believe this. I ask this in Jesus' name, and by the power of your Spirit, amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us, and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.